passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Episode 181 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, people, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Whether it's NBA, whether it's NFL, whether it's World Series, I don't really want to talk about that right now too much because the Yankees are out. College football, all your betting needs, you can find them on Bet Online. Head to betonline.ag and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAVE to receive your rewards. That's 50% on your money on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAVE. That's B L E A V to get your bonus. Bet Online, where the game starts. With that said, episode 181. For the love of the game, let's get this work. I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I promise I Until I get tired, retired, then come out retirement My girl like it rough, she said find me a diamond I'm about to be grinding, love we be on every kind of narcotic That make us believe when we lying, we honest, I love you Michael Jackson, the Jordan, the Tyson, the Myers Too much dirty money When the colors are washing the whites and the dry in my It ain't rocket science, just rockets I sleep in f***ing up pajamas I got this down to a science I turn in my project in my Welcome back, episode 181 For the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network With yours truly, Aaron Tobin Hess It's ATH, back in the saddle Back behind the mic and we spoke last week, and the Yankees are out. Swept by the Houston Astros, wasn't competitive. It felt like uh, the Jay-Z lyric, grand opening, grand closing. And just like that, the season's done. It was as non-competitive, embarrassing, just a grotesque display of baseball the gap between the Astros and the Yankees has never been wider. It's amazing to me that the Astros can lose all these guys due to free agency over the years, whether it's Carlos Correa, Garrett Cole, George Springer, all-star players. And they are still on the top of the league. And meanwhile, the Yankees are now in year six of doing the same song and dance over and over again and expecting different results. It's just wild to me. 
It's wild to me. We're going to talk about it with a recurring guest in a little bit to kind of give our Yankees funeral. So I don't want to talk about it too much in the monologue, but it's just unless something significant changes, this is going to be the Yankees way. Half in, half out, half measures, and a lot of ownership just being satisfied with the status quo. And quite frankly, as a Yankee fan, that's embarrassing. And if you're a Yankee fan, and I know it's going to sound like you're crying for champagne tears over here because the team won 99 games, had been in the ALCS three out of the last six years, but it's unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable. Again, yeah, we're going to get into it later on in the show. So, but the Yankees are done. It was basically just like a week ago where we were talking about the ALCS and previewing it. And within a week, that's basically finished. Didn't think it was going to happen like that. I didn't think they were going to win, but I didn't think it was going to happen like that. All right. A couple of quick Knicks thoughts. Now that Jewish holiday season is in the rearview mirror, schedule's back to normal. You'll be starting to watch a couple of Knicks games. As you all know, I'm pretty down on the Knicks was going into the year. A couple of things, though, that, that I need to just say. One, Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is so incredibly solid. He's more solid than I probably gave him credit for. Now, do I think he's an absolute needle mover and, and a ceiling raiser? No, but that shouldn't discredit how good of a player he is there's a competency to this Knicks season and again I haven't watched as much as I normally would watch and I'm gonna get back into it but there's a competency there he gets people in the right spots first of all he's not turning the ball over I think he's gone you know in their three games I don't think he has a turnover his assist to turnover ratio is tremendous he gets guys good looks he gets himself good looks when he has to he has a nice balance of when to get his own and went to find somebody else for a shot who needs a shot. I know he may not make an all-star team. He probably will never make an all-NBA team, but there's a competency there that is, that's just tremendous, and that's a floor raiser. It's not a ceiling raiser, but it's a floor raiser. So kudos to Jalen Brunson. Um, R.J. Barrett, another slow start from R.J. Barrett. I know he does this every year slow starts but every time i watch rj barrett i just look at him and i see donovan mitchell and what could have been and quite frankly what should have been and even if he goes on a hot streak and whatever i i just i don't ever see rj barrett being the level of player that donovan mitchell is and if you're gonna get a floor raiser like jalen brunson you needed to pull the trigger on Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I I just don't think R.J. Barrett's that kind of guy, and I think the Knicks are going to regret that. But we'll we'll see how that shakes out. I just I wasn't buying it last year. I'm not buying it this year. I'm probably not going to ever be buying it going forward. Julius Randle has looked better. He has. I still think it is imperative for the Knicks to trade him now. But credit to Julius. He's playing a little bit better. Maybe that's because Jalen Brunson is putting him in the right spots and not having him handle the ball as much. 
not not so much iso julius but kudos to him he, he's rebounding he looks better overall i just can't get too excited yet i i do like what i see from obi Toppin. i mean i part of the reason why they need to trade julius randall is to play obi Toppin more minutes i do like isaiah hartenstein i've said that for a while now the knicks are a wait and see wait and see uh, for all the knicks fans who are getting super super excited over three games like let's let's simmer down now all right let's simmer simmer down it's three games but i i will give jalen brunson some love because he deserves that a couple of nba thoughts from around the league just a couple of quick hitters as we're basically first weekend. There are a couple of weird starts this season. The Spurs are three and one. The Jazz are three and one. Those are going to be two of the worst teams in the league, but somehow they're three and one respectively. I mean, the Jazz play hard. They they have like competent players, but that being the case, I don't think the Jazz are going to be a playoff team. I don't think the Jazz are going to be close to a 500 team. But for the tank job that's supposed to be the Utah Jazz. They're not really going along with the plan right now that Danny Hange has for him. But I, I, again, it's four games, but it's just interesting to see them and the Spurs being three and one. Meanwhile, Miami is one and three. I'm not super worried about them. Philadelphia, who I said that was a lock for over 50 and a half wins, they're one and three. Again, it's a little early, but Philly makes me a little nervous because. Let's just say Doc Rivers has a very checkered history of having super talented teams and him coming up small and them underachieving, whether it's in the regular season or in the playoffs. And this James Harden situation, you know, you you were watching the game opening night and everybody's like, oh, Harden looks back. Harden looks back and Harden's dribbling the air out of the ball. He's taken like a hundred more dribbles or something like something crazy stat. He took a hundred more dribbles than the entire rest of the team. And that's just not the way Philly's going to win. So while James Harden may look like he's in shape now, again, it's October. Talk to me in April and May when James Harden seems to go in the shitter. But I just, the vibe is bad there. It looks bad. Harden's doing Harden ball. We know that doesn't win big in the playoffs. It doesn't. I actually got into an argument about this with Luka Doncic. We'll get to that in a second with my buddies. Shout out to the chat, the Let's Spare Others chat, Mike Klein, recurring guest on the show, friend of the program. We get into this argument all the time. But yeah, the Harden ball for Philly is not going to work. Not going to work. So that's something interesting to keep an eye on. Philly, the Doc Rivers watches on. If if they start out like a 9-8 and eight kind of situation, like Doc Rivers could easily be fired. Two, the rookie class looks impressive. Last year's rookie class was impressive. This year's class looks very impressive as well. Paolo Bencaro, I mean, he looks like a pro scorer already, like a top. 15 kind of score, go-to score in the NBA. I mean, he's so incredibly polished at the offensive end and has a feel at that end of the floor that guys that age normally don't have. But it's not just him. I mean, 
Jaden Ivey's been super impressive for the Pistons. Keegan Murray's been super impressive for the Kings. Benedict Matherin has been super impressive for the Indiana Pacers. I mean, this class looks like it could be a really, really impressive class. And it's just a shame that we're not going to see Chet Holmgren for a while because I actually thought that Chet could have a really big positive impact for the Oklahoma City Thunder and that the Thunder would, if he was there, would have been closer to a 500 team than people would give them credit for. But yeah, impressive stuff from the rookies so far. Three, John Wall looks like he's very much rejuvenated. This Clippers thing is interesting. They have a lot of guys, a lot of guys on the roster who are, you know, given what they've done in their career, are going to require minutes. And it's going to be an interesting chemistry experiment. But John Wall looks like he's back. He looks explosive. He looks happy. And it's good for him, you know, because he's been through a lot of crap last couple of years. A lot of crap. And it's good to see him back playing good basketball. Four, Damian Lillard. Another guy, very much back. I know he had the ab injury last year. Last year fell off a cliff. He wasn't right. It, it stemmed even from the Olympics where he wasn't right. It just looked just looked off. Looked off, and, and you saw that last year. Well, guess what? Damian Lillard has recovered from this injury, and he's back to being awesome again. So, And the Blazers are 4-0 and are on top of the West. I don't see that trend continuing, but... If Dame is going to be an all-NBA first or second team caliber player, like there's no reason why they can't be a top eight seed in the West, as good as the West is. Good for him. The guy is only 32 years old. It's not like he's an old fart out there. Like It's not like he's like an old horse that needs to be put out to pasture and turned into glue. He's 32, all right? Got to stop putting guys who are over 30 years old basically calling them like geezers and, and has-beens. Like, it's enough already. It's Dame Lillard. There's a track record. Like, let's respect that. We got to respect that a little bit more. All right, so that's four. Five, I mentioned him a little bit before, the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. I was watching the game last night against the New Orleans Pelicans. No Zion Williamson, no Brandon Ingram, and the Mavericks just don't look a lot different than last year. In fact, they look like they're a little bit worse I mean, they did lose Jalen Brunson in the offseason, so that would make sense. As great as Luka is, Luka playing Luka ball is not going to win a title. Now, you can say that the rest of the roster is very limited, and that's true. The roster is limited. But I do believe that part of the reason the roster is limited is because in free agency, Guys aren't necessarily going to be running to play with Luka Doncic. Like, if you're another guard, right, who's good in this league, why would you be running to play with Luka Doncic if all you're going to be doing is standing around the perimeter waiting for him to pass you the ball to shoot a three? Why would you want to do that? Raja Bell said it on his podcast, on the Ringer podcast, uh, The Real Ones, where he talks about being a role player and how that – even if somebody's usage rate, like Luca, if it drops from 37 to where it is right now to 33, 32, right? 
even that 5% drop means that the ball is touching other people's hands. Guys are moving and guys feel more involved in the game and role players, which Roger Bell was one, you know, feeling a better rhythm. That matters, right? So like, it, it, how do the Mavericks improve? Say, get better players. Okay, but if Luka's going to be dominating the ball as much as he does, I'm not sure guys are going to be running to go there. So Luka is going to have to have a come-to-Jesus moment. Or it's going to be a coach that's going to have to say, I know this wins the regular season, but you got to take it down a notch, Luka. You got to take the usage back a little bit for the greater good, the long-term good. Because again, I don't think this style of play is ever going to win a title. And quite frankly, with the way the league is right now, especially this year's Western Conference, I'm not sure the Mavs are any better than a playing tournament team. I know, again, I mentioned him before, Mike Klein, friend of the program, recurring guest on the podcast, is going to send all these numbers my way, all these analytics my way. But again, sports is not counting cards. That's not the way this works. So I'm interested to see what the Mavs do a little bit. And last but not least, the Los Angeles Lakers are an absolute disaster. They're 0-3. It looks horrible. Russell Westbrook is not playing well. And it's just ugly. It's ugly. He was 4 for 15 last game and took a weird shot in a, in a two-on-one possession at the end of a game. Of all the shots, like it was a pull-up jump shot in rhythm, a shot that he actually is somewhat good at. But he just looks like the life has been sucked out of him, and the Lakers are making him the scapegoat. And it's very easy. I mean, the guy can't make perimeter shots. He's turning the ball over. He doesn't want to do the little things. He gambles on defense and gets exposed on defense, and it's just a mess. But what it won't show you is that Anthony Davis can hit a jump shot outside of five feet and refuses to get in the paint and be on the post, that he looks like he's as ambivalent as he's ever been in his career. What the game in Portland also, what they won't mention, is that the possession before Russ took the two-on-one jump shot was an even worse possession where LeBron dribbled the air out of the ball. Three seconds left on the shot clock, takes a horrible fallaway three that had no chance of going in, and the Blazers win the game on the road against the Lakers. Russ has not been good. He has not been good for the Lakers. The experiment has not worked. However, Russ is not the only problem in Lakerland. The roster is terrible. I mean, their three through 11 guys on the roster are arguably the worst in the league. Okay? And Anthony Davis is not that guy, as I've said multiple times. And LeBron has gotten to the point where he seems resigned to his fate and he's going to be able to get his numbers because he's still great, but he doesn't seem like he gives a shit anymore. I mean, he's chucking shots from the logo, chucking threes from the logo. I mean, it's game three is already packing it in. It's just, it's a mess. And guess what? LeBron James had a hand in constructing this roster. So to put all the blame on Russell Westbrook, and that's what we do now, is we find one guy to blame it all on. And, and Russ doesn't do himself any favors. Doesn't do himself any favors, but it's not all on Russell Westbrook. And this Laker thing is a disaster. 
I hammered the under 44 and a half wins, and I absolutely love it. One last thing before we get into our recurring guest to give a eulogy to the 2022 New York Yankees. I'm shocked I didn't even mention at the top of the show, New York football. The Giants are 6-1. and one. The Jets are 5-2. and two. That's a combined 11-3. and three. Did anybody see this coming? No. Nobody saw it coming. Now, the Jets had a very costly win. Brees Hall out with an ACL injury, uh, torn ACL. Absolutely brutal because they looked like he is a real, real player. Elijah Barrett Tucker, the really good offensive lineman, he's out with an injury. We're going to see what happens with the Jets going forward because they lost a lot of guys, a lot of guys. But, hey, 5-2 and two is 5-2. and two. You know, did Zach Wilson have a great game against Denver? No, he didn't. But Denver's defense is really good, and they've done that to a lot of quarterbacks. And I think we all need to relax on the on the Zach Wilson talk. Just let it play out a little bit more. But unfortunately for the Jets, who are having, you know, a very nice special year, it may fall back down to earth and come crashing back down to earth, not because they're not good, but just because of the injuries that they've suffered. So that is a major bummer. What's not a bummer is the New York Giants, 6-1. and one. Daniel Jones was named Offensive Player of the Week, 200, over 200 passing yards, over 100 rushing yards. The Giants basically haven't had a quarterback do that ever. He's been great. You know what? He's been great. I'm not a Daniel Jones guy. I've been a skeptic, but he's turning me into a little bit of a believer where it's like I don't mind kicking the can down the road with the quarterback position. Saquon Barkley is the best running back of the last 25 years when he's right. He absolutely carried them at the end of that game, picking up monster yardage on that last drive. Yeah, did he slip and go out of bounds or he tried to stay inbounds? That almost blew the game for them because it gave the Jaguars an extra minute on the clock and with dumb penalties and Trevor Lawrence driving them down the field with the Giants win by the skin of their teeth. Yes, all of that happened. But 6-1 and one is 6-1. and one. I'm shocked, and I'm not going to apologize for it. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Giants and Daniel Jones and what they decide to do. But do I think, do I think he's the long-term solution? No, I still don't. However, if Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are going to be there, then maybe it's really not that bad having him on the team. All I know is that Saquon Barkley's got to be there. He's got to be there because when he's healthy, he's one of the six or seven best players in all of football. In all of football. And you're going to say, Aaron, well, running back contracts don't age well. And yes, that is historically true. I'll also say that Saquon is so good that he may be the exception to that rule. So we'll see. But unbelievable with the Giants. And that leads us into weeks eight. Can't believe we're already doing week eight picks against the spread. It was three and two last week, another winning week, 16 and 19 on the year. We're building our way back. I thought it was going to be four and one, but things happen late. But here we go. Week eight's picks against the spread. We're going to start with the Tennessee Titans on the road, minus two against the Houston Texans. I lost on the Texans last week. It looked for a while that they were going to cover the spread against the Raiders. 
And this Davis Mills thing was a nice story, but the Texans, it turns out that they're actually bad. I think the Titans have a formula here. I like the Titans minus two. At two, we're riding the Giants again. Giants plus three in Seattle. Daniel Jones has done well on the road, and I just think the Giants are good. And this is a bet on Brian Dable, who's the best coach of the year and should win coach of the year. I don't know why the Giants are as disrespected as they are right now. I know Seattle's had a really nice year, a surprising year. Geno Smith has been good, but I'm rolling with the Giants. Third week in the row, Giants plus three. Third pick, I've got the Bengals Monday night minus three against the Browns. The Bengals are rolling into form. Joe Burrow, to me, is the third best quarterback in the NFL. This Browns thing with Jacoby Brissett, it's got an expiration date if it hasn't already expired. I'm rolling with the, the Bengals minus three. At four, I like the New England Patriots minus one and a half against the Jets. I know I just talked about how the Jets are having a great year, but I think the injuries that they sustained last week, it's just going to put a damper on things. And I think Belichick is out for revenge after a gross loss in Monday Night Football. I think Belichick always hates the Jets to begin with. So I got the Pats minus one and a half. And at five, I got the Miami Dolphins minus three over the Detroit Lions. I've loved the Lions all year. They've got a nice offense, but what looked like that they were going to cover every week and play close games every week, it's kind of expired. Amon Ross St. Brown has been out with various injuries. DeAndre Swift has been out with various injuries. The defense is not very good. And the bottom line is when Tua Tungvaluwa plays for the Miami Dolphins, they win, okay? He's 10-2 and in his last... 12 starts. Miami is good with Tua. They're good. Hopefully Tua can keep himself healthy and not get his brains bashed. I mean, you were watching the game, what was it, Sunday night, and he's just getting off that brutal concussion that we all saw. And he's still lowering his shoulders, trying to pick up extra yards. It's like, relax, Tua, a little bit. Pick your spots a little bit. But So I got the Miami Dolphins minus three in that game. So again, to recap, Titans minus two, Giants plus three, Bengals minus three, Pats minus one and a half, Dolphins minus three. All those lines are from FanDuel, and that is this week's week eight's picks against the spread. With that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest to talk about the New York Yankees, how it all went wrong what needs to be done to solve this and if the Yankees are actually going to do anything to help themselves or we can get to him in just a matter of moments. So the Yankee season is over. I teased it in the monologue. I didn't want to talk about it too much in the monologue because we're going to talk about it right here. We've got Andrew Senders back, recurring guest, my, uh, my Yankee muse. We are doing a little bit of a uh, Yankees funeral podcast. Andrew was just a week ago where we were talking about you know, them winning the Cleveland series. Vibes were good-ish. And now we're here. How are we doing? Uh, I mean, we kind of feel the same way, honestly. To me, like, I, I didn't really have a lot of expectations going into Houston. Uh, I think I rated it a 4 out of 10 in confidence-wise. Probably could have gone lower because I really did not have any confidence going in. But, 
Yeah, it sucks that it's over. You know, I th- I I personally thought this team was was you know a little a little bit different than the previous teams, but I guess not. So let's go there for a second. I, I want to start there. We were not very confident going into this series, obviously because the series with the Indians went five games where we thought it should have been done a little bit earlier. They hadn't played good baseball for a good chunk of the end of the season. But even still, this seems to be as deflating for the Yankees in as a whole as it's been in a while. And and maybe it's just because of how uncompetitive the series was. Like, like what's your what's your feeling on just the team as a whole before we get into what happened and then long term what's gonna go on with the Yankees? But don't you feel that like real dejection and that there's a major separation between the Yankees and the Astros? Well, I mean, as a fan, I feel embarrassed. You know, I I, I can't wear Yankee apparel. Like this was this was horrible. And it wasn't just getting swept. It was looking back to the 2004 Red Sox for help. Like this was just, they were, the organization is so out of touch with what the fans expect and want. And look, yes, it's a lot to expect a team to win a championship every year. But with that said, with the talent on the field, the fact that they've never been and they can't get over the hurdle of the Astros that's a little concerning, but yeah, I, I mean, the only way, the only right word to describe this series is just an embarrassment as a Yankee fan. Can we talk about that inspiration of the 3-0 for a second before we get into all the other stuff? And, and I'm not a Michael K guy, but Michael K summed it up great. Like, you're using the most embarrassing moment in your team's history to inspire you to play better in a series like the the 3-0 series blown lead to the Red Sox in 2004 is by far the worst moment in Yankees history. To bring that up to try to inspire and rally the troops like like who's who's in charge here? Like who's doing any of this? Like do we have no sense of pride? Like I I don't understand. Yeah, and as I said before, the organization is just completely out of touch with what's going on. I mean, the fact that we thought it'd be a good idea to have David Ortiz on a FaceTime and start giving motivation. David Ortiz? I want David Ortiz dead. Like, this guy has terrorized my team for his entire career. Like, why are we going to them for motivation? We're the Yankees. The Red Sox should be going to the Yankees for motivation. We should not be doing that. That was, and when I heard that, and you're right, Michael K summed it up beautifully. I, I could not believe what I was hearing in the post game when I'm listening to all this motivation crap. I was just like, there's no way. For the record, we don't want David Ortiz dead. We just don't appreciate how he used to terrorize the Yankees his entire career. It's just absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. But I, I just don't understand. It, and we're going to get into the organization as a whole. So, you know, let, let's let's table that for a second. So let's start with what happened on the field. What to you was the most – what to you stood out the most in terms of the, the actual product on the field? Was it the in-game managing? 
the the bullpen, or was it just the complete lack of offense? Like, what to you was the most startling thing about this series? I mean, I think it was. I mean, it has to be. I I, I mean, you could. I to me, it's the fielding. It, it's it's how good of a fielding team they were, and then to let like really really just easy plays get away from them, and then. I mean, yeah, the offense, like, they can't hit. And even when they hit, then their defense fell apart. So, like, you never saw – and honestly, it was the entire postseason. You never saw both things clicking, which you need to do to win games. It's – I think this series, and and even this playoffs, because it's not like they hit that much in the – you know, divisional round against Cleveland. We've been harping on this for years now. The all-or-nothing approach that the Yankees have. The fact that they don't put the ball in play nearly enough. And people say that you can't win with home runs. I, I mean, the Braves kind of proved that to be not the case. But the Braves also didn't strike out as much as the Yankees do. And I just, to me, it's, it's unconscionable that it's the same song and dance year after year. Now, I get that DJ LeMayu was hurt. I get that Andrew Benatendi was hurt. But still, it, it's outrageous the fact that we're six years into this now and the same song and dance is happening every single postseason. That their approach to the plate is just so wildly off. Like, there's no reason they should ever be striking out 15 times in a playoff game. That's yeah. crazy. I don't care what the umpire, you know, is calling. I don't care if it's Justin Verlander. 15 times is nuts. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. And I I, I sent a, like a photo to my friend and I, all I wrote was 30 strikeouts. That was the tally through the first two games. The Astros were at eight, 30 to eight. Like it's crazy, but look, here's the problem. It's not, it's not the approach. It's not the, it's, they've got it all wrong. They think that you can have guys like Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stan, and then you can combat it with guys like LeMahieu and Benintendi. Well, no, that's not what you do. What you need is what the Astros and the Braves and the Red Sox, the teams that always win, have the same formula. It's contact first hitters with a little bit of pop. DJ LeMay and Benintendi don't have pop. Alex Bregman, Altuve, Kyle Tucker, Pena, all these guys are contact first, but they have a little bit of pop. You look at the Braves. You have Acuna. You have... um. Yeah, the Albies. I mean, I know he didn't play, but um, what what's the shortstop's name? I don't know. Why I'm blanking out. Swanson, um, Dan Swanson, Swanson. Yeah, all these guys like they're contact first hitters, and then they have pop. The Yankees don't have anyone like that. The closest person to that would be Glaber Torres, but he can't hit. So that's the issue. It's the approach is wrong. You, you can't win playoff games on home runs. Just home runs. You need to have contact. Look look at Alex Bregman. Guy hits a three-run homer one game, but then he'll lace an RBI single the next game. What has Aaron Judge done this postseason? What has John Carlos Sand done this postseason? It's a home run or strikeout. Well, we'll get, we'll get to Aaron Judge in a minute. I, I, I want to push back a little bit because I think Ben Attendee and LeMahieu would have been 
you know, definite pluses. Like, I, I do think Ben Attendee gives you professional at-bats. I mean, LeMayu, when he's right, will give you professional at-bats. But other than that, I mean, as much as we loved Harrison Bader, like, he kind of fell in love with the home runners. It, and it's hard to fault Harrison Bader because he kept them in it, and he basically won them the Cleveland series. But it's just – and and – I want to exclude Anthony Rizzo in this because he showed up because he knows how to win playoff games because he's won a World Series before. So I, I he's we'll put him off to the side because he actually showed up. But it's I mean we have to have the Aaron Judge conversation. But before we have the Aaron Judge conversation, I, I want to talk about obviously the the hitting was the major problem. I don't think the pitching was the problem. I think. You know, for all the crap, and we talked about it last episode that Garrett Cole gets, like, if you look back at game three, like, Garrett Cole was really good. And they fucked him with the the error in the outfield that led to two runs. And Aaron Boone basically cut Garrett Cole's knees off with him pulling him in the fifth inning. I know, like, there was a bloop and there was a double and fine. Like, there was just weird stuff happening. But, like, the fact that he pulled Garrett Cole at that spot, when Cole is striking guys out, when you need a strikeout to bring in um, – oh, which reliever was it? It was they got Trevino. From the what? Trevino. It was Trevino. Trevino, who's – it was up and down with the Yankees, to say the least. Like, it was just – like – was that as emblematic as it gets as why Aaron Boone should no longer be the manager of the Yankees? I mean, it was it, it, to me right there when that move was made, even before um, Torino gave up like some of the hits and whatever, it makes no sense. You're paying a guy $36 million to pitch. And when you're going to pull him, fair. If you're going to pull him in that scenario, I understand this is, you know, you need to win this game. This is a very important inning. Bring in the Wiseaga. Bring in your A. Why are we bringing in our fourth option out of the pen for that type of scenario? That's the problem with the team. And I will always say they never think about the now. They always think about the future. The Astros, they threw Ryan Presley three times in the series. Did they need to throw Ryan Presley three times in the series? God, no. But they did it because they realized you got to win today before you can win tomorrow. That's the problem. And yeah, I mean, that move was just, it, it makes no sense. Aaron Boone has had a really, really bad playoffs, and I know that it might not be all his decisions, but at the end of the day, someone's got to be accountable for it, and if it's Aaron Boone, fine. If it's the analytics department, fine. I was going to say, who's more to blame, Boone or the front office, considering he's just a puppet? I, I mean, it has to be the front office, because you know he's not making these decisions, because no no sane human being would have said, Let's take Garrett Cole out and let's put Lou Trevino in. There's no way you don't you don't do that. I'd have I would have been much, I would have been way happier at least if Garrett Cole gave up the runs. Because then I would have been like, you know what, we we let our ace pitch, but no, we let the number four option out of the pen ruin ruin the series for us. Like that's just to me is crazy. And the weirdest thing was is just like bases loaded, no outs. You're praying for a strikeout. Cole was striking guys out. He had, what, six or seven Ks in five innings? Like, he was striking guys out. He's the best chance he get. It's just the, there seems to be no feel for the game with this team. Like, they, they don't – it's just like 
it's all or nothing, and they just have no feel for how to play baseball. It, it's like they're counting cards. Like, sports is not counting cards. It, it, it's just wild to me. So, uh, be- before we get into the long-term picture of, of what the Yankees could look like, we have to have the Aaron Judge conversation. I know we had a magical year, and I know that the rest of the lineup was not hitting around him. But are we nervous about this Aaron Judge in the playoffs thing? Like, is this something we're 100% nervous about? And are and where do you stand on bringing him back uh, next season, given the number that it's going to take and the way the Yankees seem to be operating these days, like a small market franchise, even though they're on a $7 billion um, you know, uh, pot of gold, basically. I mean, look, uh, before the playoffs, his stock was way higher, in my opinion. Right now, it's it, it just – look, I thought his approach changed in the regular season. He wasn't chasing the sliders, didn't look uncomfortable. That all changed in the postseason. It went back to the same old swing. And I even looked back at some film between this year and the last couple of years in the playoffs – he went back to that ugly one-handed loopy swing trying to hit homers. And I think it's just the approach was off and he looked extremely uncomfortable. And now would I say, let's go after him and go crazy with the money? No, I, I wouldn't because I'm afraid. And honestly, I'd rather break it all down versus like giving him way too much money. And then you can really handicap yourself. So you would rather just as a long-term approach, because I do I do kind of think that something obviously needs to change with this team. And I think that I will get to the front office in a second, but so so you're more in favor of just stripping the whole thing down to parts, losing a hundred games, trading Cole, getting rid of Judge, trying to trade Stanton, trying to trade Rizzo, the whole thing, and then just like starting anew. Personally, yeah, because, look, I like this team. I do, but they're not built for the postseason. It's too much of the same players. Something needs to change, and you have have good young pieces. That's what bothers me about it. There's so many good young pieces that we can use. And, I mean, look, yeah, you want to flop guys like – like, Stan, you're not going to be able to flop. He has a no-trade clause. He's going to be with the Yankees. Cole, same thing. Like, no one's going to want to take that money, but – you can do what you did in 2016. You do a mini rebuild. You 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 get it back quickly and you get the right pieces. Because look, if you don't sign Judge and you get rid of guys like Torres and Donaldson, just get rid of all of them, then you can have room to rebuild the structure of the team. I just don't think like the, the current structure is it's perfect for the regular season. You hit bombs, you pitch pretty well, you you'll you'll get in. But you're not going to be effective in the postseason. So, and if their goal really is to win a World Series every year, then this is not the way to do it. But yeah, to a normal franchise, this team's pretty freaking good. I mean, they are. They've made it to the playoffs six years in a row, like ALCS three times. Like they're a good team, but for the Yankees' goals that they set out, this is not the team that's going to do it. And it doesn't look like anything's going to change. Obviously, a lot of people want Cashman's head. Um, there seems to be a staleness in the organization. 
There seems to be a half measures type of stuff with the organization. Uh, like, for example, I know, you know, I like the Benintendi move at the deadline and Cashman would look a lot better if Benintendi was able to play and LeMay was able to play because this series would have been a little bit more competitive. But at the same time, they went cheap for Frankie Montes when they could have gotten um, Castillo. There just seems to be a half-in, half-out thing. Like, for example, a couple of years ago when it was brought up, like, they didn't want to spend big money to get Bryce Harper, who we all wanted. It would have been perfect for Yankee Stadium. He wanted to come. Instead, he spends about the same type of money on Aaron Hicks. And, you know, and the irony is that Josh Donaldson's basically getting $2 million a year less than Bryce Harper this year. And it just seems like they're doing penny pinching at the worst time that they're half in and half out. And is that more Cashman? Is that more Hal Steinbrenner? Is it both? As much as I want to go in on Hal, you can't. They have a high payroll. He's not cheap. You know, like it's not the issue. The issue is where we're allocating the money. We're allocating our money in arguably the worst I've ever seen a franchise do. The fact that we thought it'd be a great idea to take on $50 million of contract for Josh Donaldson is wild to me. Like, why? You wanted a better fielder. Gio Urshela was fine at third base. There was no issues of him at third base. Could yeah, he not? I didn't understand that move either. It, like, it, even when it happened, I thought he was really good. I, I love Gio. I was the biggest Gio Urshela fan. And look, I go in on players when they don't play well. Gio Urshela was a good third baseman. And look, yeah, Donaldson is a gold glove level third baseman. And I understand there's a difference. But like, we're talking about a guy who is probably better half in fielding versus a guy that's yeah, top five. But like, is that a humongous difference? Is that is that a reason to take on $50 million in contract? And not even that, they got IKF. IKF's not a shortstop. We always like people forget this. He's not a shortstop. He didn't win a gold glove at shortstop. So we like, yes, we upgraded because our shortstop before was Glaber Torres, but there were other guys that could have done what IKF did. And I don't like ripping on IKF because I thought he did a really good job this year. He played really well. I mean, look, the fielding was a little bit questionable, but he was put in a really crappy situation. He was. He is not a shortstop. He switched his position to help the Yankees and he hit fine. I was going to say, I actually trusted him with the bat a little bit more to put the bat on the ball. Yeah, exactly. He was a great contact hitter. He didn't strike out. Like, yeah, he would hit early in the counts, but whatever. Like, he put the ball in play. He was the highest average hitter in the playoffs for us. Like, he did his job. So what do you expect to happen now going forward? I mean, what what, what what kind of changes are going to be made? Because... Nothing. They're not going to do anything. They're going to they're going to resign judge. They're going to overpay him. And then they're, they're going to go on the same thing. It's going to every year we sit here and have this podcast and it's the same thing every year. And it has it ever think, changed. So you don't think there's any chance Boone is gone. You don't think there's any chance that that Cashman's gone. You just think they're going to do status quo because this ownership group right now is satisfied with, you know, winning 90 games a year, making the playoffs and just saying that playoff baseball is random. Yeah, 100%. Because, look, 
look, Hal, it, like, to him, I understand, like, it sucks, you're not winning, but, like, he's still making money. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to care. At the end of the day, this is their family business, so that's all they really care about is making money. So, and look, when it comes to Cashman, yeah, I think Hal Steinbrenner should sit him down and be like, yo, like, what's going on? Six years ago, we were a game away from a World Series. Now we've been progressively getting worse every year. Like, what? what's the deal here? But- and not just that, like, if you look at, like, the Astros, like, look how long their personnel people have been employed. It's been under seven years. Cashman basically has a lifetime contract, and he hasn't, you know, produced shit in, like, the last seven years. Like, what? I don't understand. I mean, look, even even back in the day, in like the early two thousands and two thousand, like I mean, just in the two thousand tens, like the amount of money this guy is able to spend and all the, like, the just everything, like it's crazy that he's only won one World Series since two thousand. Like, how is like any other GM? You put Chaim Bloom there, I, I he would do a better job. Like his personnel was great. Look at the Red Sox team he put together. Hal Steinbrenner is not. I mean, uh, what's his name? Um. Oh my God. Brian Cashman hasn't put together a team like that. The 2018 Red Sox, like the 2009 Yankees were very good, but God, like any other general manager, any decent general manager could do what he's doing. Like, it's not hard. They overpay a lot of players and they don't get that many. They don't get that much results. They make it to the playoffs and then they lose to a good team every year. If you had, again, if, if you had your dream pick now, if you had your dream pick, of off-season moves, besides for necessarily bringing back Judge, um, I, I think Judge will come back because of just more so than even just like the baseball aspect. I think just because they view him and what he means to the team in terms of dollars generated and the Judge Chambers and all that kind of stuff. Do I think he's going to get forty million dollars a year now? No, I don't. I don't think you can hit one eighty in a playoff series and strike out as much as he did uh, and get $40 million a year. So, aside from that, who would be your top target in the offseason? I mean, when it comes to personnel, there isn't really much because the problem is that they don't have holes in their, you know, in their, there's holes in the organization. No, hold on. There's holes everywhere, all right? Yes, but the problem is, but you can't say that Giancarlo Stan is a hole because Giancarlo Stan as a player is not a hole. The problem is that his his you know his way of playing baseball is a hole in our organization. So they're not going to replace guys like that. There are two positions that will be replaced, and one of them is already replaced, and that's shortstop and third base. They're going to have to do something about third base. You cannot keep Josh Allenson there. He was atrocious. You can go find anybody else to do the same sort of production of him offensively and defensively. But besides personnel, which I really don't think anything's going to change like too much, unless Josh obviously doesn't sign, it has to be getting a new voice in the clubhouse. I really don't have a ton of issues with Boone because I don't think he's the one managing the baseball games, but I think something needs to change. You could tell it's the same team. Might be some different faces here and there every year, but it's the same team, the same culture, same cockiness. They're not very good though. They haven't beat. A, they've never beat a good team in the playoffs in the last six years. So, like, other than the Cleveland Indians in 2017, 
But regardless, I just think they need a new, new voice. And look, Donnie Baseball is available. I know they passed up on him once when they hired Girardi all, all those years ago, but God, I don't know how you couldn't change the voice. You need something to change, and it can't be the personnel. It needs to be the culture. Culture needs to change. Cashman's got to go. It's time. Boone's got to go. I would love for them to bring in uh, Trey Turner, if possible. I would love for them to flip Volpe, Peraza, whatever. I'm so tired of the Yankees talking about these prospects and them never coming to fruition because it happens every single year. It, it happened with Davey Garcia. It happened with all – like the list goes on and on and on. I'm done with the stupid prospects. They never, ever, ever pan out. Like Judge was the only guy to pan out the last 20 years. Um, I, I would use some of their capital that way. I mean, I do like, you know, Oswaldo. I, I do like him as a player, but it, it's time. We just need some contact hitters. I would love, you know, Brandon Nimmo would be great. I would love Edwin Diaz. I would yeah, love that's, Edwin Diaz because that's that was a, big a major one. problem too, the bullpen. I, I just, but more so than anything else, more so than anything else, I just want a new voice in the front office and in the manager spot. Is that really so much to ask? I, I, I just don't understand for a guy who's seemingly competitive, Hal Simon is seemingly competitive, how he could look at this and be totally, you know, embarrassed by the sweep, or I should say not be totally embarrassed by the sweep and say, oh, this is this is all right. Like this is acceptable. I just I I can't imagine it. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. But look, I don't think Cashman's going anywhere. I don't think Boone's going anywhere. It, it so sucks. Then, so then we're signing up for a lifetime contract. Well, look, Michael K said it. Also said it best. Like, and I've I've said this every year after the Yankees lose. We are little. The Yankees have a definition of insanity, running the same thing over and over and over and over, and expecting a different result. Every single year, we face the same good teams: the Rays, the Astros, and the Red Sox. We can't beat them. Good for you. You beat the Minnesota Twins and the Cleveland Guardians. That's it. Since 2017, that's it. They haven't beaten. Anybody else? Oh, the Oakland A's. My bad. <laughs> like, it's pathetic. They don't beat real teams. And they get crushed by them. Real teams, when they come into Yankee Stadium, or are they playing us on the at their home? They're not scared. Why are we terrified of the Houston Astros? They're the big, bad wolf of baseball. Why isn't it us? We have a way higher payroll than them. <laughs> and not just that. Look at the guys the Astros let walk over the years. Carlos Correa, who I wouldn't mind if the Yankees signed him, by the way. Um, Garrett Cole is now with us. George Springer, gone. And all they do is replace guys. You know, Pena becomes the MVP of the ALCS. He's awesome, right? They have these young pitchers. They've got these young relievers. Um, What's his name? Uh, Kyle Tucker had a great year for them in right field. Like, it doesn't even matter. It's just the gap is so huge. And 
unless something is drastic uh, in terms of a change, I don't see that gap getting any closer in the near future. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're miles ahead of us when it comes to being a well-ran organization, top to bottom. And I really don't like the Astros, but top to bottom. I mean, look at the way that they just, Garrett Cole leaves. Okay, sure, we'll replace you. And guess what? They replaced him with two aces, not one, but two aces who are young, throw hard, and all of them are different styles. They're not the same pitchers, any of them. So they could just run out whoever they want. They don't care. You don't want to stay here. You don't, you want to make big money? Go ahead. You can leave. We'll replace you in a day. It's it's a sad state of affairs. It's a sad state of affairs. And people are going to say, oh, look at the Yankee fans crying. Uh, three ALCS appearances in six years. All oh, things are so bad. But, like, it's it's the way – things are going and just the staleness of it all. And it's just like, unless you are sort of in it, you don't understand why it's so painful. And I just, I, I just, I, I want to see something drastic. And honestly, if that means that judge isn't brought back to spur some type of change, it's necessary. Like something needs to be done. And even if it's drastic, it needs to be done. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, look, I, and I'm not, and I, and again, I don't, I don't think either of us think that's going to happen. No. I mean, look, I've said it about my Islanders when they made it to back-to-back Eastern conference finals, everyone was telling me, Oh, be happy. Like you finally made it. I'm like, no, like when you're that close, no, you want to win. You know there's a window of opportunity. There was a window for the Yankees having guys like Stan and Cole and Judge and all these players. You wanted to win. And now that's gone because now you got to start paying people again. Torres has got to be paid. Judge has got to be paid. Like, your cycle is not – it's it's coming to an end. Well, I'm not sure they should be paying Torres. Um, I, I think we can we can let Torres walk. He's he's way too up and down. I, I I would let him walk. I just I don't know, man. Just it's it's tough times in Yankee Land, really. This this sweep, the uncompetitive nature of it all, and with the PR disaster of showing the Red Sox come back coming back from 3-0, you know, to your team to try and inspire them is is nuts. Uh quick uh, Syracuse football uh, update before we go. So tough loss against Clemson. Um, your thoughts? I'm happy. I'm, I'm proud. I'm, I'm a real proud fan. And, you know, look, they went into Death Valley and they were down by six points with the ball at the 25-yard line. You know, I, I'm so happy. I really am. Like, I think they got snubbed. I think they should have gone game day. Hopefully they get it for FSU if they win out these next two games, which I think they will. But this is a really good team. They're really fun to watch. And, you know, I'm, I'm really just like I'm a proud sports fan. I really am. Like these guys have made a magical season for me. So I could not be more happy. All right. There you go. There you go. We'll see how it goes. Andrew, this was great. Obviously, this was a little bit of a funeral. Paying our respects to the Yankees. There's a lot of sadness in our voices, but that's where we are right now like it's it's crazy that the the tables have turned where the mets
They're at a crossroads right now this offseason, too, and they flamed out in tremendous fashion. But still, it seems like there's more positive juju with the Mets right now than with the Yankees. But we'll see. We'll probably get sucked back in next year and have the same cycle of stupidity. But we'll see. It's always good to talk to you, bud. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much for doing it. Yep. Thank you. Thanks again to recurring guest Andrew Sender for wrapping up this Yankees season. A little funeral for the 2022 Yankees. It's just depressing seeing where a once great organization, where they've fallen to right now, just in terms of the ambivalence of the front office. Whatever, we we went through it already. I don't have to rehash it again. That's episode 181 for the love of the game. Take us out, Wheezy and Drizzy. Beat the truth out. Miles pick the suit out. Top floor window, he get through out. This out. Chris it, goose out. Fly another crew out. They flew out. Invited to my new house. My new house. I'm f***ing night up in my new house. Work too hard for this new house. Crying. I'm f***ing night up in my new house. Work too hard for this new house. I'm crying. I'm f***ing night up in my new house. Too hard for this new house. I'm crying. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.